Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650, and we are coming to you live from the Sportsnet 650 studios, also known as the Kintec Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Hey, dog. How are you now? I'm doing well, thank you. Good morning, laddie. Hello, hello. Congratulations. The Jays are hosting postseason baseball for the first time since 2016. Thank you. Uh, Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We're coming to you live from the Kintec studio, Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Uh, big show for Halbro today. We are going hockey heavy, heavy, heavy on the hockey. It begins at 6.30 with a prestigious guest, NHL Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly. He's going to be joining us on the program at 6.30. Uh, we will ask him a myriad of questions. We can ask him about the NHL's response to the uh, incident involving Francesco Aquilini, Canucks owner from last week. Uh, we can get into some discussions, large scale, big picture about NHL ownership and what have you. Bill Daly at 6.30 joins the program. I believe this is the first time we've had Bill on the show since we moved over to 6.50, so that's exciting. 7 o'clock, Greg Wyshynski, ESPN NHL analyst. Uh, Greg is all over all over the NHL advertising beat. Oh, okay. Are you are you all over it? I know Greg is. Are people into this? I don't like no know. no no disrespect to Wish, but like the advertising uh, some thing. Disrespect. Some disrespect to Wish. A little bit. How much do you care about like advertising? I love ring boards. There's a shock, guys. It comes back to gambling advertising. They're yeah. Uh, shocking. Uh rink boards are sacred to me. The only thing more sacred is the jersey. What do you mean <laughs> what? That's what they're doing now. Is they're changing the advertisements on rink boards to have the hologram style ones. So yeah. Okay. Them. Great. It's very exciting. Super. It's I, very exciting. Does it, do, does it does it distract from the hockey on the ice? Yeah, it changes. It's really? Like watching it's a moves during game. the play. It's, it's a different game. It's now? a diff- totally different game. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I've never seen anything like this before. Wish is going to join us at seven o'clock. We'll talk about. I'm like, Wish, what are you doing, wasting your time with this story? With the hologram- Come on, buddy. With the with the advertising, there's hockey going on. There's real games going on. Come on, buddy, grow up. You're like again with the advertising and the holograms. Eight o'clock. Thomas Drantz, aka the Drancer, is going to join us. Uh, Athletic Vancouver, Sportsnet 650. Uh, we can go back over the game that the Canucks, I wrote in the, the notes, the Canucks, well, at least a few Canucks, lost badly in Edmonton last night. Uh, we can talk to him about roster projections. He has a big piece up on The Athletic right now about all that. I hope uh, I hope Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl don't have to go into Abbotsford this year to play the, the Canucks. Hey, tough game there for a while. Didn't feel like a 7-2 game, according to Bruce <laughs> Boudreau. Just looked like one at the end of the game when the scoreboard read 7 Two. Anyway, Drance at 8 o'clock, Wish at 7, Bill Daly at 6.30. As for what's on the tube tonight, uh, I mentioned congrats to Laddie, congrats to the Jays. They will be hosting playoff baseball for the first time since 2016 on Friday. The playoffs start on Friday. Uh, they got that courtesy of win last night, so their series against Baltimore, which means nothing now, uh, continues today. That'll be on. There's a bunch of NHL and NBA exhibition games. We haven't really mentioned that the NBA exhibition season is underway so all those games are on tonight champions league in the middle of the day if you're looking to play hooky from work liverpool and rangers the steven gerrard bowl uh barta barca and inter and napoli and ajax so there's a bunch of sports on we're getting into that time of the year it's andy's favorite pumpkin spice lattes are out halloween is just a couple weeks away i watched my first horror movie last night to start the season so adorable very excited god i love you uh so we've got a lot to get into as the sports continue to ramp up Uh, Let's not waste any more time. Boys, let's tell everybody what happened. 
Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. Oh, what happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? Missed that? You missed that? What happened? Canucks lose. Canucks lose. Well, some of the Canucks lost anyway. A AHL heavy lineup went into Edmonton on Monday night. And the NHL team emerged. 7-2 victors. That, of course, was the Edmonton Oilers. Dylan Holloway. He looks like a player. Three goals and an assist. Zach Hyman, a goal and two assists. We mentioned Fogle in the intro there. Old Fogle had a couple of goals in the third period as well. 7-2. A game that didn't feel like a 7-2 game, according to Bruce Boudreau, but the score was, I repeat, 7-2 for the Edmonton Oilers at Rogers Place on Monday. Yeah, in case you missed it. Uh, I mean, it was a barn. How could you miss that game? 7-2. Dylan Holloway. Uh, only a few NHL vets for the Canucks, like Garland, Dickinson, and DeKaiser, dressed for Vancouver compared to Edmonton, which dressed pretty much all the big guns, including McDavid and Drysaddle and Evander Kane. Um, I have to admit, at the beginning of the game, it kind of felt like a waste of time for the Canucks. Uh, I even threw that out on Twitter, and there was some pushback. Because look at what Christian Wolanin is doing. The Wolanin discourse begins. Top Andy, six Wolanin. Andy's new favorite player. So long, Andre Kuzmenko. Say hello to Christian Wolanin. Yeah, it's a, it's a hard name for Halford to say, too, especially with his Irish tongue. He's Christian, like Christian Wolanin. Christian Wolanin. So uh, Wolanin is a 27-year-old defenseman. No, folks, he's not a right-shot defenseman. This was not a gift from the gods that the Canucks were able to sign Wolanin. To a two-way contract, um, he's probably still bound for Abbotsford, but he, I guess he looked fine. I mean, this is this is where Fine. we're at. This is where we're at uh, in uh, Vancouver when a depth defenseman who has bounced around the NHL, Ottawa, Buffalo, L.A., been on waivers, been claimed on waivers, been reclaimed on waivers, and most recently again signed to a two-way contract by the Vancouver Canucks. When it when a defenseman like that shows anything. Anything positive, and he was the de facto number one defenseman last night by how much he played and how well he played. People are like, could we have something with this guy? And the answer to that is, I don't know, maybe there was at one point a time where he was quite uh, highly regarded in the Ottawa Senators system. Mm -hmm. He ran into injury issues there. Uh, He ended up in LA and then he was put on waivers claimed by Buffalo Buffalo put him on waivers he was reclaimed by the Kings he hasn't played many NHL games 70 70 games um and but you know listen last night's game if you're looking for guys that can provide the Canucks depth last season and we'll talk about this I suppose if you want to with Thomas Drantz at eight o'clock guys like Christian Wolan and made a good appearance, I suppose, in a 7-2 loss. Well, it's fair to bring him up in the context of this Oh, there's nothing else to bring up. There's nothing else to bring up with the game. Like you mentioned, Garland, Dickinson, DeKaiser were probably the three most notable NHL veterans. Uh, Pod Colson was out there as well. But it was a game, as soon as the lineup got sent out, you almost kind of felt, like you said, like, is this a bit of a waste of time? Are they just essentially punting on this one? Because it felt like a lineup where you get the NHL rules for the preseason, and you have to dress a minimum of eight veteran skaters, yeah. and they dressed a minimum of eight veteran skaters, and that's what it was. When they posted the lineup, I was like, is this a bit? Like, is this what they're going with? Is right. this what we're having to watch tonight? Well, they had a – I mean, we talked about this yesterday. They obviously had a plan at the beginning of the preseason how they wanted everything to look, 
mm-hmm. right? It's not like they're making it up on the fly. If they were, I'd be a, a tad alarmed. In the you preseason, know? you want your your paying customers, and don't forget the Canucks have a game Wednesday in Abbotsford, mm-hmm. and then Friday is their last preseason game at home at Rogers Arena to the Arizona Coyotes. Those will be the games, I think, where Bruce Boudreaux will ramp it up a little bit with his lineup and actually maybe one of those games at least I'm expecting they'll have a full lineup. An Oilers-esque Oilers lineup. lineup, yeah. They yeah, all. there might be a couple guys sitting, I don't know, but, you know, they're, they're not going to – like. so their travel day yesterday was – or their day yesterday was – like there was no hotel in Edmonton. They practiced and they skated in the morning in Vancouver, then got on a flight – went to Edmonton, played the game, and came home, right? That's the type of game you give to the young guys. That's right. And you don't even get to stay at the Sutton Place Hotel. And, yeah, there's not, there's like, you don't even get to look at it. Don't even, don't even look at a hotel. Do we get a you hotel? Know what? You sleep in the bus. Yeah. You know what? They didn't even feed them. No. Yeah. no they didn't even feed them. It's a hunger strike. If you survive, you make the team. If they had lost, <laughs> if they had lost 5-2, they would have gotten a snack. But those, but they those last two. I would have taken you out, but I bet yeah. on the other team. The so moment, they had to go to Subway. The moment that Bertanen got an apple at the end of the game, they're like, no food for any of you. We told you not to let him do anything. And he almost didn't do anything for the majority of the game. Yeah, he was parked on the bench for, for quite a bit of the game. He took a, a bad early penalty. Uh, but in typical Jake Vertanen fashion, he made a nice play in garbage time. That's right. Uh, picked up picked up an assist on a two-on-one. Um, I don't think he's going to make the team. And in Vancouver, I don't think Danny DeKaiser is going to make the team. I would no. be surprised at both. Prove me wrong, Does I Jason suppose. Dickinson make the team? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. You think? Yeah. He's one of those my contract keeps me here kind of guys. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and it's for better or for worse. I noticed him for like 15 seconds last night. Well, so, I mean again, the I I don't count the preseason for much, right? And especially with veteran guys. Like I, I don't think inherently or internally Jason Dickinson thinks he's in a roster fight. I'm yeah, pretty sure that that's he's, fair. You know what I mean? So I think he he assumes that he's there. You know what they say about assumptions, but there was there was precious little to be taken from that game last night. I saw a couple of the post game recaps saying that Colin Delia looked all right before things got <laughs> caved in. Okay, and the third pair is like, sure, if you say so. That's for one. I can get on my soapbox now before we have Bill Daly on the show. The postseason is entirely too long. Preseason. Preseason is entirely too long. The postseason's too long too. Everything's too long. Um, the preseason's way too long. If you're having games like this, where you're dressing the veteran minimum out of duty and obligation just to get through it. You might want to reevaluate why you're having that. Great for Edmonton, right? They got this. I mean, it was pretty packed. They got a bunch of food and Bev and a bunch of concessions. So that's terrific. If it's a money-making venture, fine. But the reality of it is we still got a bunch more uh, exhibition games to go. The only reason I watched last night game, last night's game was a professional obligation. That's because a good way of putting it. Well, seriously, yeah. I wouldn't, if I, if I was just a fan, I, I wouldn't have watched that game. I can I can like oh well Landon looked good did he okay awesome you know I, I I agree with you I you know these exhibition games while they serve a purpose for the team they are not fan friendly at all you're watching that last night's game and you know the Canucks number one power play comes over the over the boards and you're like well what's the point of this right Nils you know? Oman is out there on the first power play unit was he I think so no I think he was more up. Penalty killer. I'm taking a guess. Yeah. Who know. cares, right? Yeah, right? You didn't watch it. <laughs> he did both, you know, and he was in net in the third period. I don't know. Anyway, there was some news from Canuckland yesterday. We take we take this we're like take it pretty seriously. Like, who cares? Well, <laughs> was he? Come on. I don't, know. don't blame us. You saw the lineup. That was a who cares lineup, wasn't it? I mean, I kind of felt bad for Garland. He was out there with the who cares guys, but that's what it was. Yeah. 
That that game. Do you think the veterans were? Uh, do you think that was a way to send a message in in a way to the veterans? Like if you're going to Edmonton, like See, you need to play better. I was wondering about that. Imagine, I mean, they're like, come on, Garland's like, I thought I thought it'd be pretty good. Did all the older guys have to draw straws? And Garland was like the short straw. He's like, ah, fine. I'll short buy. straw again. Uh, <laughs> 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 he doesn't even. Have, he's like the bright side is you don't have to pack an overnight bag. You're just gone for a few hours. That's it. But there wasn't much to be taken from it. I do. I know that the Dunbar Lumber text message in basket at 650-650 is probably going to be weighing in with this is a continuation of a bad preseason. I don't like the way things are going. I am not here today for that. There are actually other tangible things that we can talk about as they relate if to the, the Can- Canucks. If the Canucks dress a lineup like they did last night in Edmonton at, at any time during this regular season, something awful has happened. It's true. <laughs> like the whole team got lost on the way to the airport or something. They're like, fine, bring up the Abbotsford guys. Like, that's what it was. Yeah. There was, and again, it's funny because you said, well, there's a handful of NHL vets and one of them was the Kaiser. They're a pretty good chance he's not on the team. When this is all said and done, that he's just released from his PTO in a way that he goes. Yeah, right? I think we can talk to Drance about the the lineup decisions down the lineup that still need to be made. I mean, Andy asked the question, do you think Jason Dickinson is going to be the team? And I said, I think so, but I'm not 100% sure. You know, they could they could make a decision and send a message. I mean, I don't think he's been good. The only I, don't thing think anyone think, I don't think anyone thinks he's been good. But here's the thing. They have injury issues already. Brock Besser... Uh, was skating yesterday, but because of the the major hand surgery he had, according to Andy Cole, um, he very, has a very major hand. Very yeah. major. He still very, has the hand. Which still is has the hand. Yeah, which is good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's, it's actually helped his shot. Um, he uh, can't shoot the puck quite yet. Um, they're hopeful that Mikheyev can skate today. There was no update on Travis Dermott, but that's two forwards that probably won't be ready. For game one of the regular season? No, yeah, but Besser and Mikheyev, I can't see them being ready for the start of the regular season based on what they said at the time of their respective injuries. One thing to monitor, though, is that, you know, we've done this song and dance enough times, as you get closer and closer to the start of the regular season, there is that small flurry of transactions, right? Because teams need to get cap compliant. There's certain guys that need to clear waivers in order to get them down to your AHL affiliate. Sometimes those guys don't clear. Sometimes you've seen enough in the preseason where you realize we need to address this going into the season. It usually, So uh, there's a couple things here from a Canucks perspective. There's the Horvat situation, which is still looming. Uh, and then there's the Furland contract, which yeah. kind of came to light yesterday. And then if you start to listen in and around the NHL, uh, there's a bunch of teams that have either put for sale signs on guys that they know they're probably going to lose to waivers. And you start to see some teams that are like, okay, we're either going to be operating an LTIR or we're not, or we do and we don't want to, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that there might be a small move or two, maybe for the Canucks, but that's got about a week to unfold still. Yeah, there are also some decisions that occasionally get made at this time of the year, which are salary cap related. Uh, occasionally, Drance tries to explain these things, and I kind of my eyes glaze over a little bit, and I'm like, any, and, and he starts talking about bonus overages and 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 you know making f- full use of LTI and maximizing, and I'm like, uh, again though, is Jason Dickinson going to be on the team, Drancer? He's like, well, you, you you see, there's a clause in the CBA, and I, and I kind of go back to sleep. But um, the the Michael Furland. Um, uh, situation is interesting and we've heard this from a few people wondering if they're going to try and move this contract before the season starts. I know like there's some people that were like, well, why, 
why bother? You know, like they're in, like just use LTI. He's hurt. Doesn't it? Doesn't matter. Like it, it. It does matter a little bit for you. You don't really want to operate in LTI unless you're, unless you're desperate, really. And if the Canucks can get rid of that Furlan contract, it would really help because they do have some potential bonus overages that keep applying. Mm-hmm. So every time you go into the season, you've got a bonus that had been earned in the previous season that's then applied to your cap, and then it just keeps happening. And if you can get out of that um, pattern, then it helps you minimally. Like, it doesn't help you a lot, but it might buy you a little bit of cap space, and a little bit of cap space these days is pretty valuable. Uh, I know Frank Saravelli was on the show talking about this, Um we can play this audio. The question that I have and that you can probably keep in mind the whole time you're you're listening to this is what is going to be the cost to be rid of this Furlan contract in order to get out of LTI? Over the last week to 10 days, um, they have engaged with some teams on checking prices. What would it take for you to take on Michael Furlan's contract? It's a two-part issue for the Canucks. One, um, no one wants to be an LTIR if you can avoid it because you're never accruing cap space. And, you know, for a team that might want to, you know, make some moves as the year goes on, it just becomes a lot tougher to do. And two, it's a real cash thing. Michael Furlan's contract isn't insured. So $2.75 million bucks that are owed to him here, that's well over $3 million Canadian. That's a hit to your bottom line. If you can avoid that, Take that off your books. That's real cash savings that go back into your operation at the end of the day. So I think there has been uh, a significant push, if not an edict from up top. Do what you can to move this deal. Whether or not it materializes here in the next uh, you know, week before the season starts and rosters are due, um, just less than, a, than seven days exactly, uh, remains to be seen. But that's certainly something the Canucks have been checking in on. So – the question becomes is, if, is there a team out there that would be willing to pay Furland his money, you know, almost $3 million, um, and what would the Canucks need to give up for that? Mm-hmm. Are, are, is this essentially going to be a situation where a team is going to buy a Canuck prospect by Poten- paying Furland? I mean, potentially. Again, if Frank's reporting is accurate and the edict is out there to move this deal, then, I mean, it's almost – kind of simple math that you're going to have to attach some sort of sweetener to this deal. I mean, it's a pretty standard. That would just be kind of, I'll be honest with you, it would be kind of like, you're looking back on that Furland deal, it would be very frustrating as a, as, a, as a fan of this team to know that that contract was uninsured. And I know that was reported a few years ago. I think Patrick Johnston might have been the first to report that in the province that the Furland contract was uninsured. And when I first heard that, I was like, What? You signed a guy to a with like a significant concussion history, recent concussion history, to a four year, fourteen million dollar deal, and it wasn't insured, which makes it so much harder to trade that contract if those concussion issues crop up again. Really, and it's coming back to roost, right? Poor business then is coming back to roost now with a totally different managerial regime, but one that has to deal with this again, not in a standard way. Other contracts of injured players have been traded throughout the league. We saw one not long ago when Shea Weber got traded to Vegas for Jenny Dodonoff. It worked because 
the Vegas was like, absolutely, we're going to operate we need an LTIR. LTIR. Yeah, we need it. And we're going to be able to get this yeah. Dadunov contract off, off the books. And so that worked. I don't know if it's going to necessarily work for Furland unless there's a, a sweetener and perhaps a significant one attached. I guess the question is, how strong is the edict from above yeah. to move him? Because the other part of this is moving Furland. It might not even be about the Furland deal. It might be about what that frees up or what that allows you to do subsequently. Because like I said, there could be some deals out there. Now, another deal that is still hanging in the balance is that of Vancouver Canucks captain, Bo Horvat. Uh, Elliot Friedman was on with Donnie and Dolly, the team, on Czech TV yesterday talking about the contract standstill. He had a comp that was kind of interesting as it pertains to contract negotiations. Here now, Elliot Friedman on the latest between the Canucks and Horvat. Look, I, I think that everybody knows where everybody stands here. I, I think that Bo Horvat has established a comparable, and I think that's probably in the Sean Couturier area. And I think that the Canucks have established what they're willing to do at this time, and obviously it's not that. Um, you know, again, what have we learned about this Canucks management group? Uh, we learned that this summer everything held on JT Miller, and all of a sudden things changed like that. Yeah, and. You know, if and that's what we all have to be wary about here. Like, even though the two sides, as far as I know right now, aren't that close, um, it doesn't mean it can't change very quickly if the Canucks decide it's so. So, um, you know, I I think that that's kind of what I'm waiting for. Um, you know, the, the Canucks with Miller, they said they weren't going to do it, they weren't going to do it, they weren't going to do it, and they did it. So uh, allowing and, and agreeing with what Friedman uh, said at the end there that, you know, when it comes to this Canucks management group, sometimes you just wake up and they've decided that they want to get something done. And that could happen today. It could happen tomorrow. You know, it could happen before the regular season starts next week. Um, that being said, and we can discuss this next half hour, by the way, after we speak with Bill Daly for about 15 minutes. Uh, we can talk about Horvat. So text in any comments into the Dunbar Lumber text line. Um, I do wonder if this management group is a little bit hesitant to lock up the entire core, uh, if only because it hasn't proven it can make the playoffs yet. Like, I, I have some hesitancy that, about the Canucks, I mean, but I don't make the decisions. And I know that some of the fan base has hesitancy. And, I mean, if, if you lock up Horvat, you, you've, you've, you've locked up everyone, right? Uh, you, you got Demko, you got, <laughs> sure you know, you got Demko, you got, you got Hughes, you got Besser on a three-year deal, obviously JT Miller. Um. I mean, it's an interesting way to look at it because individually, the pieces make sense. Yeah. You locked up Hor uh, Demko long-term. Well, of course, he's your franchise goal. Mm -hmm. You're going to want him. You locked Quinn Hughes long-term. Well, yeah, he's your best defenseman. He's your franchise defenseman. You gave JT Miller a big contract. Yeah, well, he was our best player last year, and he had 99 points. Then you start going down the list, and you're like, well, cumulatively – Maybe that isn't the best group to keep together, but individually the pieces make sense. I think what you're saying is, do you want to extend this invite to be around forever to Horvat? Yeah, and then another guy to a group and that has another guy to a group that hasn't guy. proven anything yet. Exactly. And I wonder if the Canucks are going to wait and see on this how the season starts. Uh, if the team starts out really well and looks legit, and it looks like okay, it was. It, it was coaching last season, and you, you can make that you can make that conclusion. And maybe Petey and Hughes have leveled up, as Durant says, and they look like a like a surefire uh, playoff team. Maybe then it becomes a little bit easier to come over to Horvat's side 
on any contract negotiations. Uh, I'd love to hear from the listeners on this. Text in your uh, opinions or questions into the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. Coming up next, it's NHL Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly. Uh, The first question I'm going to ask Bill is, what was the league's reaction to the allegations against Francesco Aquilini? What happens... um, at, at the league head office when something like that comes across their desk. You're listening to the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Time now for Sportsnet 650 traffic from the City News 1130 Air Patrol. on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Three dealerships to serve you better. North Shore Acura, Acura of Langley, and Burrard Acura on Terminal Avenue. Let's go straight to the phone lines. We are very happy to be joined by our next guest. He is the NHL's Deputy Commissioner. He is Bill Daly. He joins us now on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Bill. How are you? Good morning, guys. I'm I'm well. How are you? Uh, we're good, thanks. And thanks for taking the time to do this. We do appreciate it. Uh, we wanted to start with a story that broke locally last week and was a pretty big talking point on this show and this station throughout last week, uh, and that is regards to the allegations against Canucks owner Francesco Aquilini. Uh, what was the league's reaction to those allegations against Aquilini? Well, I... I, I Actually, uh, Francesco had come to visit the commissioner and, and myself several months ago, gave us a heads up of, as to what was going on um, in his matrimonial issues. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we uh, did, did a little bit of research around that time. So we weren't caught by surprise at all by last week's announcement. Um, we touched base with Francesco again. Obviously, he... Uh, vigorously denies uh, any any um, anything like uh, what has been alleged. Um, we're monitoring the situation, and at this point in time, there's really nothing more to say. Is there just just big picture here? Um, and I, I'm sure you love hypotheticals. Um, is is there a code of conduct for owners? Like, what powers does the league have? to hold an owner accountable. Obviously, we've seen some incidents in the NBA where an owner has been suspended or, or, or fined. Is it the same sort of system in the NHL? Yep, uh, it is very much the same. It's, it's defined in our constitution and our bylaws what, the, what the, uh, um, each club's and, and representatives of each club's responsibilities are, what the commissioner's disciplinary powers are. Uh, they're broad um, and far-ranging. Um, we've obviously we, we've had incidents uh, in, in our league where there's been uh, discipline assessed against owners, um, uh, where uh, in some cases where they've been asked to step away uh, from their duties as owners uh, pending um, kind of conclusion of, of legal proceedings. So um, we we also have experience in this area, and as I said. Um, very broad-ranging powers that the commissioner has as defined by the Constitution. Uh, I want to talk a bit about um, Hockey Canada. Um, 
I know you were on with uh, Elliot uh, Friedman and Jeff Merrick about a month ago, and you said that the Hockey Canada investigation from the NHL side was was ongoing. Has there been any update in the last month? Well, other than it continues to be, remain ongoing. I mean, there's no, there's been no pauses, uh, is what I'd say. It, it is a continual thing. I think we're obviously getting closer to the end of the road. Um, I think our investigators, um, you know, are, are almost done with the players. We've gotten full cooperation, by the way, uh, from all the member players of, of that squad. Um, there are some additional uh, witnesses that I know our investigators want to follow up with. Um, so we're not uh, at the end of that road yet, uh, but uh, but we've been making uh, material progress on a consistent basis. What is the N- I don't know if this is the right word for it, but what is the NHL's jurisdiction in this case? Like, in what capacity is the is the is the league the NHL investigating? Because this was you know a, a hockey Canada th- thing, but I guess the players are you know some of the players are in the NHL now. Yeah, I mean, obviously, if if you have a connection to the NHL, if you're under NHL contract, um, there are it's 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 really similar to your earlier question. Uh, you have uh, you have um, uh, principles that you're expected to uphold and and live up to, um, and uh, you know, obviously, we have the ability under our CBA in this case um, to discipline for for conduct off the ice. Uh, that is detrimental to the sport, is deemed to be detrimental to the sport of hockey and and to the National Hockey League specifically. Will the investigation's results be made public by the NHL? Well, ultimately, the results will be made public for sure. Um, I don't know exactly what form that takes, and it's probably preliminary or or, or too early for me to, to share more on that. But, you know, when you get to the end of, of, of the investigation, um, the next steps will be, will be made available publicly. Obviously, Hockey Canada is under fire almost on a daily basis um, up here in Canada. Does the NHL see that as a Hockey Canada issue or do they see it as a, as a hockey issue or a hockey culture issue that needs the NHL's participation in it? You know, I, I, I think that's a fair question. I'm not sure how I'd answer it. Obviously, um, you know, I'm not going to comment on how uh, Hockey Canada uh, has has handled it um, uh, to this point. That's kind of their business, not ours. Uh, having said that, I, I do think we, we feel as the National Hockey League, we do have a responsibility um, as, as the foremost professional sports league uh, or, or hockey league in the world um, to you know, to lead um, and and to to police in certain uh, respects the culture of the game, uh, make sure it's healthy and inclusive, um, and is that we're doing all we can be doing with the, the sport as a platform. We're speaking with NHL Deputy Commissioner uh, Bill Daly. Bill, let's move to the salary cap. Uh, the flat salary cap has been a rather frustrating thing for uh, Canucks fans, and I think a lot of hockey fans and I'm sure some general managers um, I'm sure it's frustrating for for everyone um, looking forward there is some optimism that the salary cap is going to jump maybe not next season but the season after that and the season after that and yet 
you read the headlines and you in, in the newspaper, you're reading the business section and everyone's talking about, oh, my God, we're going into a, a recession. Interest rates are going up. People can't afford things. Um, how difficult is it to make salary cap projections in such an uncertain economy? Um, well, I mean, I, I think the uncertainness of the economy uh, complicates things to a certain extent. But, I mean, it's always difficult to make salary cap projections, you know, as, as the pandemic proved, you, you never know what's right around the corner um, and how it's going to impact uh, projections. So uh, the, the most we can do is, is project. Um, we hope those projections are, uh, you know, educated uh, by our experience and, and by what's going on in the marketplace. Um, obviously, you know, last year we were fortunate to exceed projections and even exceed forecast projections and we had you know the highest grossing uh hrr uh, season in the history of the sport um and you know i think we're, we're bullish uh for this season as well uh at at matching uh duplicating that or or improving on it um so if if we continue to go in, in that uh direction um you know i, th- I think we're projecting that uh that you know, the salary cap will be reattached to, to league-wide revenue sooner rather than later. Is the Canadian dollar a potential wild card? It's it's obviously fallen a little bit in the last little while against uh, the U.S. dollar. Always is a wild card, um, and it's always fluctuated, and it, it builds into our analysis, obviously. Um, but I think you know, de- depending on. Kind of where where that dollar is, um, it, it I, I would say it's not an overwhelming factor in in all the things uh, that we have to look at. Uh, it is a factor, but not not uh, you know a, a overly significant one. Uh, we're only a handful of weeks away from the Arizona Coyotes opening up play at Mullet Arena at Arizona State University. This is one of the more unique uh, temporary venues in the major big four professional sports. Uh, my first question was, have you and Gary Bettman had a chance to actually go and see the facility and be inside Mullet Arena yet? We haven't seen it uh, since all the renovations have been done. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, we're aware of the facility uh, pre-existing, so... Uh, the answer is no. We have not been on site yet. Um, uh, when uh, since since the renovations are being done, uh, but certainly we're regularly connected with both people on the ground uh, from the Coyotes organization, but also we have uh, league personnel uh, who were responsible for for being there on a regular basis, uh, and I receive regular reports from them, um, and the reports have been good. Because uh, I know you've made in past interviews the allusion to the fact that this isn't the first time that this has ever happened in the Big Four sports. Like when the Chargers moved to L.A., they were in a temporary facility that was pretty small. So it's not completely out of the mold, but it is a very, very small venue. I'm curious, do you have an idea of the projection on exactly how long they anticipate they're going to be there? Because it's contingent on so many different things, and we all know how difficult it can be to construct a new arena. Uh, have the Coyotes given you a, a real clear timeline on how long they expect to be in Mullet Arena? Well, here, here's what I do know. I, I do know that the Coyotes hope and expect that uh, they'll have the, the go-ahead on the, on the Tempe project by the end of the calendar year. Uh, if not sooner, um, hopefully that's the case. Uh, once that's a go, um, shovels go in the ground, and then 
you know, buildings take what they take. So um, you're you're looking, you know, uh, best case two seasons in this arena. Um, you know, I would think uh, three seasons probably more likely. Um, but again, I we're we're at this point projecting higher revenues for the Coyotes in this building than than uh, in Gila River Arena, which is pretty remarkable. Um, Bill, thanks for joining us today. Always a pleasure to chat with you. A- anytime, guys. Thank Happy you. To do it. Thank you. That's right. uh, Bill Daly, NHL Deputy Commissioner, here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. A lot to dive into there. A lot to dive into, though, in the Dunbar Lumber text message in basket. 650-650. It is the Smalt alternative. You asked prior to going to break just before 630 uh, to get the listeners' thoughts on a potential Horvat extension and bigger picture, larger picture, locking into almost the entirety of a Canucks core, which... Fairly or unfairly, I think it's fairly to say it this way, hasn't really accomplished a whole hell of a lot, especially when it comes to postseason success. Mm-hmm. And we've got a bunch of texts on the Bo Horvat situation. Mike, the urologist from Brockville, texts in, I am becoming increasingly depressed and nihilistic about the Canucks. <laughs> okay. Uh, because as you said, uh, they just keep running the same group back, hoping it'll be different. It just hasn't worked, and I don't see – how it's going to magically morph into a contending team without at least one or two dramatic changes. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a completely fair comment to say, which is why I'm wondering if the Canucks might say, all right, Bo, you're under contract um, for this season, so let's, let's just stall on any talks. We'll just put those aside. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And let's go into this season now and see what we got. Because from a Canucks perspective, let's say they sign Horvat and they go, okay, well, we're going to, you know, seven by seven, right? So you've made a big commitment to this guy. And then you go into the season and the team just, the group just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. It's just not, not a good team. Like even under Bruce Boudreau, I don't think anyone watched the Canucks games and said, that's a dominant team. Like that's a really that's a really good team. That's a Stanley Cup contender right there. I realize that they won a lot of games and I don't know what their pace was. Their point uh pace under Bruce Boudreaux. I know it was pretty good. It was I think it was over a hundred point pace, right? It was yeah, they were at it a was, sixty basically sixty percent winning clip. But did anyone honestly watch that game and think there's a team that could give the big boys a run? I don't think so. I mean, hey, if if you disagree, fine. But but I don't and and here's the most important thing. I don't think Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford thought so either. Or they wouldn't have made the comments they did after the season. At the end of the day, the team did not make the playoffs. The fu- now, the, now, but the funny part here is that <laughs> I would argue that of the quote-unquote core guys, Horvat's extension might be <laughs> the most the easiest one to justify and maybe the easiest one to get done if you're going on the premise that there's a hometown discount to be had. Yeah. Because he's the captain and he's been here forever. And if you could get him at a shade under what market value might be because he wants to stay, like Miller was a tough decision, I would imagine. I think Besser, to a certain degree, doing what they did was a tough decision because they were always a lingering idea that you could trade him. And he was kind of expendable because we're in a league where, you know, 20 to 30 goal scoring wingers aren't exactly at a premium. Everyone, every other deal that they did 
made sense. Demko, that's a no-brainer. Hughes, that's a no-brainer. Pedersen, you know, that's a totally different situation because they kind of bridged it out. The two guys that are locked in long-term that this management group had nothing to do with and probably don't want anything to do with, I I, I hate saying it, but they're Garland and OEL. They're on the books for a long time, and I bet if, you know, Alvin and Rutherford had their druthers, they'd be like, we prefer not to have these guys locked up for the amount of term and really at the price tag that they are. Now, I think Gar- Garland might be a little bit different. Garland's contract might yeah. look good in a non-flat cap world, but in a flat cap world, it doesn't, quite honestly, because yeah. it's hard to move. Mm-hmm. But to your point... I think you could move it without giving up much. OEL is a different story. There's a different, there's a difference between locking up your core and then looking at your financial commitments four or five years down the road. Because for better or for worse, OEL's on the books for an awfully long time. Garland is to a lesser degree as well. I do think that... It's such a fascinating debate because you could say, why are you locking into a bubble team? Why are you locking into a fringe playoff team? But I go back to what I said earlier. Individually, those are the pieces that you want to lock up. Goalie. Borderline Vesna guy. Uh, a defenseman who you hope would project out yeah. to be a Norris-type guy. Uh, and then your number one center, a young guy who you hope will take that next step to become elite. Pedersen you're talking about. Yeah, Pedersen. The Miller situation, I think there'll always be that debate, and I don't think it'll ever go away, where it's do you keep your best forward last year, and again, a 99-point guy, which is very difficult to do in this league, and then it's always going to be the counter-argument, which is, well, you might have had the best JT Miller already. You might not see it down the road. And now you start going down to the quote-unquote other guys, and it's funny that the captain of the team, who's been here for the better part of seven and a half, eight years – is now considered like almost one of the other guys. So I'm going to throw out a question uh, to you and to the listeners as well. Sure. How much does the captaincy play into this decision that the Canucks have to make? In other words, is it more likely they keep Bo Horvat because he's the captain and he was drafted and developed by the Canucks and he's been a loyal, good soldier for them? Or is it more likely... They don't sign him and they trade him. They move him because he has been the captain for so long and the team hasn't done much and they want the culture to change. Now, this is this is completely unfair to Horvat to throw this comparison in there, but it's it might happen, right? Um, the last captain that, that Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin had mm-hmm. is one of the greatest hockey players of all time. And I sometimes wonder if they look at Horvat and they go, you know, Sid was such a big part of setting our culture. Sure. He was the captain, and it he was our best player. And you know, Horvat for for being a a, a, a good player, he's not a, a Hall of Fame player. And I wonder if they look at this situation and they say, you know what, the captain should be your best player, should be. Um, you know, the guy that by his play, but also his actions off the ice is able to set a culture, set a winning culture, set, set a culture where, you know, you walk into the room and, and, and people always say this about Sidney Crosby, right? Like you, you walk into the room and you're like, man, there, there's one of the best hockey players of all time who works hard every day, does the same thing every day, never takes a day off. That's what the young players have to follow it's easy to follow because he's Sidney Crosby here's what I'll say about that and it's funny because I actually think and this is my very twisted logic coming out in real time that the captaincy issue 
could theoretically work against Horvat and Horvat's camp in negotiations. Let me explain. I do think there's something to be said for the historical precedent of regimes or coaches coming in and understanding the significance of the C and more importantly, the significance of changing it. We've seen it in a lot of instances. We just saw it in Winnipeg. Yeah. Bonus came in and what's one of the first things that he does to stamp his authority, but also change the tone in the room publicly takes the C off Blake Wheeler and doesn't give it to anybody. That's a big, big statement. But what you're saying is new regime, new show, new changes. I think the one of the underlying issues with whether you extend Horvat or not is, let's say you go and you give him seven over seven. You're essentially committing to either one, he's going to be your captain for another long period of time, or two, you then enter a situation where you might have to make that change, yeah. that he might no longer be the guy. That he might be superseded by JT Miller or Elias Pettersson. Quinn Hughes. I, I don't think Quinn Hughes is maybe the guy, but he might be. Who's who's Who knows? One day. The idea, though, is when you look down the road, you have to ask the question, can the fourth or fifth most important slash best player on our team continue to be our captain and our leader? Now, some might say yes. There are a lot of teams that have lower down the roster role players, and I'm not trying to diminish Horvat, but the reality is, of terms of importance to this organization right now, I would say Demko, Miller, Pedersen, Hughes are all, and it's I know it's a very vague term and kind of nebulous, but more important. Yeah, I think so too. More rests on their shoulders. Yeah, for sure. So again, there's teams like Columbus who have like Boone Jenner as their captain. And that's great because he's a heart and soul guy and he works hard and he's been there for a while. But you assume that eventually either the best players or the better players are going to establish themselves as the leaders, or there's going to be a change where they stop looking to Boone Jenner and start looking at other guys. I do wonder if that dynamic plays into what the Canucks are doing because the, the ramifications, it's always the knock-on effect, right? It's not necessarily about just about the contract and the term and the money. Mm -hmm. It becomes, well, how does our room look moving forward? Because now we have all these core guys locked up, but who's the leader of the core? Who's the guy that's going to take the team by the cojones when things aren't going well. Yeah. For the longest time, it's been Horvath, but I don't know if it, if he's the guy moving forward. So maybe this is an opportunity for them to say, hey, it's time to change things up. We've been presented an opportunity here where now's the time we can actually make a move and go in a different direction. That's one possibility that I'm throwing out there. Josh and Langley text in, this management and coaching staff did not crown Bo, and all they know is the team has never succeeded with him as captain. So to answer the question... I believe him having the C makes it more likely that he gets traded. I really don't know what to think right now because I think the the management group has been, and maybe this is a hint, fairly guarded in their comments about Bo. It's 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 been understated. Do, do you remember when they were talking about JT Miller and how they would constantly say best player, best, best forward, he was their best, be, forward, he best was player. their best player, yep. right? He was their best player. With Horvat, it's been more like, we like Bo. We'd like to keep him. Mm -hmm. But it's never anything like, he's a great captain. He is the leader of this team. Mm -hmm. We need to keep Bo. It has never been that. Um, perhaps I'm reading too much into that, but I think it's worth noting. Like It, it was almost like w when they would talk about JT Miller, like you'd be like, okay, he's going to say it. He's going to say it. He's going to say it. You play like the bingo game. He'd be like, and there he said it. He said best player on the team, right? That was like something they would constantly 
talk about. Now, I don't know if that was intentional or if that was just them being like, oh, I got to say words here, so I'll say this again. Uh, A lot of people are bringing up the comparison to what happened in Los Angeles with Dustin Brown eventually ceding the captaincy to Andre Kopitar. Some will say the public stripping of the captaincy. The the only reason I didn't bring that up as a comparable is because, remember, they kept him. But Brown signed an eight-year extension in 2013. And then midway through that extension, they're like, we got to change this up. So his But they deal- kept him and now he's got a statue. I know, but, right? what, but what I'm saying is like the 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 big difference crazy. the big difference here is that Bo Horvat is you have to make the decision now whether you want to keep him around. Dustin Brown I mean, here's the thing. They could strip him of the captaincy, but they didn't have to re-sign him to a contract like the next day. Like he was under contract. They kind of yeah. said, Hey, we're gonna take away your C. You're also under contract until 2022, so do what you will with that. And he kind of had to make his peace with it. Mm-hmm. Honestly, he could have forced a trade and maybe tarnished whatever legacy, which is a statue now, in L.A., or he went along with it. Now, that's an option for Vancouver as well. Make no mistake about it. But I think it'll be kind of awkward and acrimonious to sign a guy to an extension and then you're a couple of years into it be like, by the way, take that letter off your jersey. But these are all things that need to be considered because you bring up a good point. It's not just... Bo Horvat, they're talking about extending. It's the captain of the team that they're talking about extending. What about the idea of waiting 20 games into the season and taking a look at how the team is doing and then maybe revisiting contract talks? My counter to that would be if you don't know now, then you don't know. Like if, if, if you need 20 more games to decide the future of your captain in the city, yeah. then I think maybe you should reevaluate how you're doing business and how you're negotiating things. Mm-hmm. Like you've had a long time to watch the guy play, and he's had a long time here. Right? I understand the yeah. importance of the start. I get that. But it's almost like if you have a, a draft board going up to the draft mm-hmm. and you know exactly where you want to pick, and then the day before you're like, you know what? Let's see how everything plays out and then make a decision. Like you need a plan. You need to know. And if you don't know by now, you don't know. I think I think there are just such wide-ranging opinions about what this team is. There are some, let's call them the house of positive positivity people that look at this team and go, This is the team that Boudreaux had for like that's what they are. And other people will say, No, this is the team that has missed the playoffs constantly over the last few years. I just don't know what the management group thinks, right? And, the, and, I got and a if, feeling and if, we're not going to find out. But no, yeah, Johnny Tightlips. Tough to get stuff out of that organization. Does, does, like that. Doesn't say much. Uh, what do we got coming up in the show? Greg Wyshynski is going to join us on the other side. The hockey talk continues at 7 and 8 o'clock. Big hockey show as we get closer and closer to the start of the regular season. Drancer at 8. What we learns at 8.30. Uh, it's another powerhouse show here, hour one in the books. You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. I ain't saying nothing.